squirrel was magic. This is the Diabolical Index for September 10th, 2018, where the pages of the Uncanny reside. This is Corey Dawson, back from the great beyond. Um, I've been gone for a while, different things, medical issues, different scheduling problems, trips, weddings, births, deaths, soul-searching solitudes, all that type of thing. But I'm back. And I thought, what better way to come back to the nut house live as always uh, than to start out with a question and answer session. It's a special episode off uh, off entry, uh, no numbers. So, yeah, hit me with your best shot. Uh, anything book related you want to talk about? Anything about me personally? Uh, scathing questions, uh, suggestions, or uh, any sort of I don't know personal attacks. Go ahead and hit me. Um, actually, uh, it's it's gonna be a little bit um, loose. I don't have uh, a specific plan in mind. I did want to talk about a, a couple of things that I've discovered and 
new acquisitions and um, happy accidents and surprises. Oh, yeah, surprises. Okay. I didn't want to forget this. Come home from work today, and uh, I see this mysterious... Let me give me a book cam on this one. I, uh... Let's see. I don't know if I put his the address there. How's that? See my chubby little digit on there, but what are you going to do? So basically I get this, uh, I get this package in the mail today and it's, it's exactly what I want whenever I get a package. It's just thin enough, just thick enough. It's really great weight. Uh, and it makes me think, oh, this could be some kind of, you know, movie I forgot, Blu-ray, DVD, or maybe it's a, a paperback. Maybe it's some kind of you know, something I ordered from God knows where and totally forgot about and it's just not getting in the country or something like that. Well, I was so ecstatic to receive this today. And usually, because, you know, I'm in the shop and I'm always trying to... I hate stickers on books, can't stand them. Uh, so I totally loathe most of the time. There's this new kind of cover process where... It makes it really super silky. And normally I hate it because it's almost impossible to get any kind of adhesive off of this stuff without causing this big kind of like oil slick that you can't get away and it's just blighted forever. Well, in this case, there were no stickers because it came straight from the author himself, uh, personalized specifically for me. It is the brand new uh, collection of stories from John Cosper, good friend of mine. Um, whole family, in fact, it's a wonderful family. Uh, the Big Bad Good Night, and as you can see from the front cover, uh, Mel was asking me if this was Carmen San Diego, but I think, <laughs> hey, think what you want to. It, that's okay because she would she would fit in nicely with this too because basically it is uh, a noir, uh, really hard boiled noir story set in um, set in fairy tale environments with fairy tale characters. And, uh, I, as soon as I cracked this open today, I read, uh, I think I read about a third or a half of it, uh, before I even came here and it's fantastic. Um, it is exactly as funny as it needs to be. It's exactly as hardcore as it needs to be. It, uh, it actually really surprised me with how hard boiled it is, especially, I mean, there are just so many jokes, so many puns, uh, because you come across, you know, Humpty Dumpty himself is a, uh, is a gangster in this. So when you think, I mean, it, it makes so much sense. Um, and you know, who framed Roger Rabbit comes to mind and, uh, and different things kind of like the, uh, like black sad and, and different, um, anthropomorphized animals and different things. I mean, there's like, instead of like the five families, it's like the, um, Peter Piper family and little Bo and her peeps. And, um, it's great. Like everything that has to do with a building, like it's some kind of real estate slum Lord type of deal. And the wolf is the one of the protagonists and, uh, the, you know, the, the three bears like Goldilocks is a femme fatale. And I don't want to give too much away cause it's, it's great coming across all this stuff. And it's not all like, it doesn't all hit you over the head. It totally lets you, uh, it, everyone's familiar with at least most of these things, but there are some that are a little bit more, uh, little known that are kind of brought up here and there and everywhere, uh, with these little sideways glances and these little, 
mentions here and there and different things. And I was totally engrossed. It was, I mean, I'm a big fan. I like all kinds of stuff. I really like noir film and I'm a big fan of Mike, uh, Mike Hammer, Mickey Spillane and uh, Raymond Chandler, things of that type. And this is great because it's, uh, it's not one of those things where it's trying to copy anything. Uh, there's so many things that are different, but the tone is exactly the same. And, um, you think it'd be a clunky mixture to, to try to put, uh, you know, the world of fairy. I mean, a lot of, a lot of things have tried on television and, and different things lately and Shrek and, and all those types of things, but, um, totally seamless. First, the, the first thing there, I'll actually read one. I hope it's okay. Uh, John, but I'm going to read one is the first one's a really, uh, short one. Um, dead man's hill. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down and broke his crown. And Jill vanished. Along with all that gold, Jack managed to come into mysteriously thanks to a handful of magic beans. And that's it. So, uh, the other things are their story length um, tales and it's awesome. The The dialogue is believable. Uh, especially, uh, I mean, it's, it's good in and of itself and on its own, but uh, if you, you know, if you do read this type of thing and, uh, watch films of this stuff, all of the beats are perfect. Uh, it's got a real dread sometimes and it's, it's grim in some, uh, some parts. So right about the time you think you're going to snicker, then something happens that makes you remember that, uh, even though it takes place in a fairy tale tale world, um, everything in there could totally happen. Uh, you know, revenge, you know, romance that shouldn't be adultery, murder, uh, extortion, all that, all that stuff is in there. It's fantastic. I couldn't be happier. Um, and, uh, the inscription says death to the ebook and I couldn't agree. Well, I don't, yes, never mind. No, I couldn't agree more. It's going to be on a, is my pennant, but, um, I don't know. I, I think that, uh, you know, I was, I was just having, I was having a great conversation today with, um, I made a new friend. She, um, she came to the shop to see what she could do with a, a bunch of, and, oh, oh, this is another thing. Here's a little plug. If anyone is interested, uh, in a set of classic encyclopedia Britannica's in the original case that they came in. And then I, I believe that she said that it has a extension case for the, the children's version of the Britannica. Drop me a line. She's looking to, uh, she's looking to get rid of those. So, um, there you go. But I had a great conversation with her and we talked about the kind of like the, the resurgence of brick and mortar bookstores and how the ebook hasn't killed anything. So there you go. Hey, Melanie, how you doing? <laughs> this is weird. It's pretty awesome. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. Humpty, um, Mark, uh, is that Mark? I can't tell. I don't know. Somebody from Magic Squirrel, but um, Humpty Dumpty's place, his like uh, his hideout and his I think it's a bar. It's called the Wall. So Humpty Dumpty was sitting in the Wall. It was pretty cool. There's a lot of little um, shout outs like that to stuff. But uh, anyhow, so Tyler, um, Tyler was telling me the other day that he he got a big old compilation of Edgar Allan Poe and. They exist pretty easily. I'm glad that they started putting them out uh, in the the bulk version, so you could get uh, all the poems and stories. And the, I'm not gonna say the few 
novel size uh, things, but um, I don't know. Stuff in the old days, a lot of times it tended to be serialized and uh, put out in the paper. So, um, hey, Big Curly. Um, so the larger formatted stuff, it tended to be series that was uh, kind of chained together and then uh, released. So with Poe's stuff, um, I don't know. I know a little bit, Tyler. Um, that's kind of an open-ended question. I know um, a few things. I know what my favorites are. Uh, Cask of Montiato, way high up my list. It's a really simple story. In, in comparison with most of his, it's it's uh, very, very, very simple. Um, you can find a copy of... Thank you for reminding me. Uh, you can find a copy of The Big Bad Good Night uh, at John Cosper's store on Amazon.com. Uh, you can find him at Eat, Sleep, Wrestle. Uh, he does a lot of wrestling biographies, fantastic biographies of uh, of past wrestlers. Um, so you can check him out on um, on Facebook at Eat, Sleep, Wrestle. Uh, John Cosper on Amazon.com. And uh, anywhere fine books are sold, he can be found. Uh, he's And, you know, I, I'm not going through the entire list of his books. I would like for you to go and check him out and see for yourself. It's all kinds. He's a... He's a renaissance man. He's got some science fiction in there and uh, zombie romance and the wrestling biographies. And that's, there you go. Uh, to answer your question, Peggy, Archer family, right at the top. Absolutely. Favorite people coming to the shop? Archer family all the way. Um, uh, let's see. And yeah, I mean, totally, Sarah, there's no doubt about it. And in fact, I, I spoke with the, um, my new friend the other or uh, a few hours ago, actually, about how, you know, Ebooks definitely serve a purpose, especially if you go to Gutenberg, Project Gutenberg. You can find a lot of um, little known or hard to find or, you know, uh, I guess you call it like public domain books there. And uh, I found a, a lot of books that would have been forgotten to time, if not for Project Gutenberg. It's a fantastic project. And those are made specifically for ebook formats. And as far as I know, they come in all of them uh, Kindle formats and EPUB. Um, I believe they do PDF. I'm not sure, but eBooks definitely serve a purpose. I, I'm trying not to down eBooks too much. Um, I have my proclivities, you know, what are you going to do? But if you, you know, want to go on vacation and you want to have 30 books on your person, you can do it in that, uh, eBook format a lot easier, but, um, yeah, there you go. And, uh, Tyler, I think that the, the collection of Poe, I mean, if I remember correctly, I think it's some. If you get a complete collection, I think it's something like four inches high off the shelf or something like that. It's it's massive. It's massive, but um, oh, but nothing is sacrificed. I think the only thing, um, I think a few of the compilations have his critical works, but um, if you want to see Poe in a different light, definitely check out his critical work. He was definitely critical. Um. If anyone has seen the movie The Raven with uh, John Cusack, they kind of touch on that, and it's weird to see um, it's weird to see Poe kind of um, characterized as, as almost like a blowhard, like an egotistical blowhard about uh, everyone's powers, like the writers that found success, and he's kind of like drunken in an alley, and only you know only the French paid attention to some of his stuff at the beginning, and all all of that. So. Um, definitely. Yeah. Um, Tyler, I mean, where do you begin? I mean, with the poke compilation, uh, I personally, myself, I'm a big fan of the, uh, C. Auguste Dupin 
detective stuff, the uh, uh, Murders in the Rue Morgue and the Mystery of uh, Marie Roger, which is actually based on a, a real murder, and the Purloin Letter. Um, it's fantastic. Especially with the Purloin Letter, I'm a big fan of uh, mysteries where the the solution is hiding in plain sight. And uh, that's why, I, you know, I, I actually just ordered a, uh, a portrait of uh, G.K. Chesterton, the author of the Father Brown series. And that was a big thing for him with the Father Brown series. It was underestimation. You know, you have the thinking machines, the Sherlock Holmes and the uh, the thinking machine, the Jacques Futrell, um, who that author, sadly, as far as I know, I think he died on the Titanic. But his thinking machine... Uh, was this cold, calculating, kind of like shuffler of information and observation. And then with Father Brown, you have just this kind of doddering old priest who walks in and just kind of looks around, and he's really interested in everything. And, hi, how are you? And, oh, yes, fine, can I have some tea and all that stuff. And then at the end, when the police are kind of like wringing their hands, not sure exactly what to do, then Father Brown just kind of like raises his hand and says, has anyone considered the blank? And then it just, the whole mystery just falls before him as cascade, you know. So the Purloined Letter is a, is a big, um, big one on my list as well in the Edgar Allan Poe um, pantheon because it, it kind of uh, broaches that subject. But um, let's see. All time, yes. Favorite sci fi? Woo. Um, the Hyperion books by Dan Simmons. I'll, I will read anything by Dan Simmons. Uh, when it comes to the Hyperion books, uh, that's one that's been in my uh, to-read pile for a while. Um, they're—I'm not going to say it's daunting, but sometimes when you look at a book, uh, you know, in in kind of like the—I um, can't believe I forgot his name for a second there. Oh my gosh, who's the the Game of Thrones guy? Oh my gosh, I totally forgot his name. Uh, a, oh my gosh, it's definitely Martin. Um, Whoa, I'm in trouble already. See, <laughs> see, that's what I get. That's what I get for imbibing. That's what I get for imbibing. Um, but George R. R. Martin, that's who it is. Uh, when you look at a book, and I think Hyperion kind of falls into that list. It's like Hyperion and the Fall of Hyperion. It, it has those uh, names in there. And as far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong. Totally correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, but I was under the impression that the Hyperion series had to do with kind of like, um, this pantheon of gods, uh, except they're on planets rather than, um, rather than on earth. The, uh, like the Mount Olympus is a, is a universal Mount Olympus where, uh, the gods live off world. And it's always been really fantastically interesting to me. Um, especially since Dan Simmons, uh, he wrote kind of in a horror vein for a long time. And then, um, I honestly don't know if it was, if the sci-fi, I think if I remember correctly, I think the sci-fi was earlier, uh, in his career and then he went into horror and then he kind of went into, um, I hate to say like a Stephen, no, no, I wouldn't say that. Not a Stephen King phase, but almost like a Robert R. McCammon phase where um, it, his writing always had heart. But with this, I think that it was a little bit more approachable, uh, like A Winter Haunting. That's a great book, um, and it's a really simple premise, uh, and it's basically like the best 
the best kind of poignant haunted house book I've ever read. My sister, Robin, uh, recommended it to me. And I was familiar with Dan Simmons, but I hadn't heard of A Winter Haunting. And I checked that out, and it's totally great. Uh, so I'll read anything that Dan Simmons puts out. My to-read pile is so massive. Um, I wish that uh, we could put... Um, I wish we could put pictures up. I could show you a photograph of our living room right now. And I've actually cleaned it up and there's a stack taller than me, but it's just the stuff I need to get around to. But yes, absolutely. Definitely need to read the uh, Hyperion books. Um, so I need to get after that. Bentley little. Um, I have, it's funny. I've only read one Bentley little and every time I find him, I, I pick him up. Um, but I, I have, I've only read one. So it made an impression, made such an impression that I buy everything. Uh, I'm not so sure I have Dominion, though. Um, so I, I'll definitely have to check that out. One third of my books for a perfect organization of the rest? Absolutely not. I don't believe in perfect organization. Uh, it seems to me that anything that's perfectly organized is easily forgotten. So um, for me, when, uh, I mean, for instance, this, this isn't about books, but it's about writing. Uh, I was going through packets of papers and boxes of papers from uh, my old writing workshop that evolved into a comic clinic and beyond uh, the, um, you know, that type of thing. But I was going through those papers and they weren't uh, organized at all. And I came across stuff that I had completely forgotten that I had written and notes for different things, different projects that I'd forgotten about. If they had been perfectly organized, I wouldn't have rediscovered them. So... There you go. Perfect organization? No. I refuse. Um, let's see. Is this live? No, it's Memorex. Uh, it's kind of gnarly. I love the word Shrike, Mark. One of my favorite words. When I found out that uh, one of the characters in the kind of like, I guess, I hate to say the word universe. I'm so tired of the word universe. But the uh, the Hannibal Lecter universe and uh, especially on the show, they had mentioned him in Red Dragon, I believe. Uh, but the Minnesota Shrike. I thought that was one of the coolest names for a serial killer that I'd ever heard. I love that name. So, especially, I mean, if that's the villain's name, I'm totally, totally down. Um, so, let's see. If I was hungry now to focus on writing one book, would it be fiction or nonfiction? Um, eesh. It, I think it would almost have to be nonfiction because I, I have a sinking feeling that if I was writing fiction, I might be writing a couple at, at one time. Uh, so I doubt that my focus would be ironclad unless I was doing like a, a nonfiction book about codes or something like that, you know. Um, true crime genre, favorite true crime author. I'd say definitely Harold Shester. He wrote a series of books. Um, I hadn't even heard of Albert Fish before I read, um, I think it's Deranged. Or no, I think Deranged might be... He wrote one on Ed Gein that I think is Deranged. And then he wrote um, he wrote one about Albert Fish. They were all, it's like Deviant, I think. They're all D names for a little while. He did uh, four or five of those. But Harold Chester, uh, flat out. Jack Olson is kind of up there. Um, and, you know, I like the John Douglas kind of Manhunter stuff when I was interested in the uh, the profiling end of the criminology. I was in psychology and criminology in college, so 
I was really interested in that type of thing, the profiling stuff. Oh, man. He's saying Dominion is the uh, about the god of wine, Dionysus. Yeah, you may want to check that spelling there. But you caught it, so it doesn't matter. Um, I'm interested in anything like that, that kind of mixes up the... Uh, the pantheon of of old gods and how they um, relate to man. Um, the oh yeah, I was gonna bring up. Okay, so I brought some. I got all. You may not be able to see it, but I got this big pile of books in my bag and stuff. And I was bring. I was gonna bring books in and kind of talk about um, what was kind of you know impacting me lately and, and things like that. I read my first Silver John story. I bought uh, When the Old Gods Awaken. Uh, I think it's the first collection of Silver John stories. And I found... Uh, can I get a book him real quick? Um, up here? Okay. So, um, I found my... The first Silver John story I uh, read was in the Oxford Book of Fantasy Stories. And whenever I see the Oxford Book of... I. I buy it whenever I possibly can, uh, because they tend to, they really, really curate the living hell out of it. Um, but I found, um, uh, the Silver John book or Silver John story in here and I, it's slipping my mind what it's called, but, uh, it's mainly Wade Wellman, the Desric on Yandro. Now the Desric on Yandro, it sounds like some far flung cosmic, uh, story, but uh, the desert Yandro is a place in I, I don't even say Appalachia, Appalachia. I'm not sure how you say it, but it's somewhere around there. Silver John is kind of like this. You know, he's almost like a minstrel, but in a real super deep um, Appalachian type of way, in the old style, like the old Southern type of thing. He's got silver strings. They call him Silver uh, Silver John because of the silver strings on his guitar. And he, he's kind of in the midst of all these cosmic, um, or, you know, old, old entities of America. Um, and the Desric is like a, it's, I think it's like some sort of shack on this hill and it's fantastic. I totally recommend Silver John. I always hear about him, finally read him, totally recommend it. I don't want to say any more about that, but one of the, uh, and I talked to Big Curly about this, because I, I wanted him to draw the, the creature, but, uh, oh, I got a, I got a spare. Um, <laughs> he's, he's feeding me drinks. Um, but Lord Dunsany, uh, was always a big, um, he was always big on H.P. Lovecraft's list of the, the people he read. And I found one in here called The Fortress Unvanquishable Save for Sacknoth, okay? It's from 1908. And it is the funnest story. Everybody always tells me that funner, funnest isn't a word. Sorry, everybody. I use funner and funnest. Um, it is one of the funnest stories I've ever read. Uh, it's basically this horrible creature has been killing people in this village. And it's a prophecy. You have to find this certain sword, and if you have this sword, you can kill this monster. But it's not in the the proper way. You basically fight the monster off long enough so it can't feed itself on all these little screaming babies and people of the village. 
and it starves. And the important part is, is you have to starve this creature to death in order to use parts of his body. The sword doesn't even, I, I think that I'm saying that wrong. I think the sword is actually made from the spine of the creature and you just have to like kind of fend it off with a stick so it doesn't get within a certain whatever. But um, <laughs> it's basically this quest where there there's signs everywhere that's in, in kind of like rumor that if someone hears that you have this sword, they just kind of run all these evil things. They say, this evil cannot be vanquished save for Sacknoth, which is the sword, you know? And, um, it cracked me. It was so great because it was totally adventurous. There was all kinds of horror and old school kind of fantasy, but at the same time, it was totally funny because it would be like saying, you're never going to stop this creature ever, ever in life for eternity, unless you have a toothpick. And then it just keeps saying that. And he's like, Oh, how can you possibly enter this castle? You'll never come out alive. And then you'll say, but I have a toothpick. And then they're like, ah! and then they just run out the door and then you totally just enter the, the cavern. It's just, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, definitely Lord Dunsany is because I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that I avoided Lord Dunsany. I just didn't read a whole lot because it tended to be really flowery and stuff, but I totally recommend that. I mean, I recommend, um, Oxford book of fantasy stories, period. Tom Shipley, I'm not exactly sure who Tom Shipley is, but he edited this one. And they always have great people editing them. Um, currently writing anything, Copacetic Genocide. Uh, oh, boy. I'm currently writing a lot of things. But it's... Um, the I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not in the discipline realm that I ought to be. I'm not on the track for getting things done the way I should. Uh, I'm not in the... Um, I don't see it in the job-like way that I need to do it to, to get it done properly. So that's my problem. I tend to get really excited, pumped about a project, make all kinds of notes, get a good beginning going, and then I get diverted away. Um, so I tend to lose focus, which is a problem. I can admit it. Um, I'm currently uh, kind of brainstorming on a screenplay from one of the, uh, the Helmers of the Midwest Horror Fest. Except in the in the vein of crime, so that should be interesting. Uh, turns out one of the leaders of the horror fest doesn't even like horror at all. So, uh, so that's interesting. Uh, getting going on that, I I've started a couple stories here and there, and um, I don't know. Maybe uh, maybe a prompt writing uh, a prompt writing kind of send up is what I need again. When the, when the prompt writing was happening, it, I don't know. I got a lot done there, and, and I've. Looking over that that writing, I found some pretty cool stuff uh, here and there. I found one about uh, Abraham Lincoln being invited somewhere, and ended up him and and Mary Todd Lincoln. I think it was Mrs. Lincoln at the time. Um, they end up stumbling onto something they didn't bargain for, so that was pretty fun. Uh, Dean Coons, um, Dean Coons is is a strange question for me. Um, I've always thought of him as kind of like the I've always kind of thought of this triumvirate, or I guess you'd say uh, almost like the Three Musketeers, even though there was always four, where Stephen King got all the recognition. Peter Straub was kind of like known, which sucks, but he was kind of known because of his affiliation with Stephen King. 
And then you have Dean Coons, which is not necessarily the anti-Stephen King, but the not Stephen King of the group. And then over here, you have who I think is, in a lot of ways, the uh, the superior writer. Robert R. McCammon is kind of like the, the stepbrother or whatever of, of the group. So um, with, um, with Dean Coons, it's strange because you, you would think that kind of roping yourself into a series would actually lessen your, your craft. But, um, I thought that odd Thomas was one of his best works. Uh, personally, I thought that the characters were so flushed out. I mean, um, I've known a lot of people who read Dean Coons, like it's going out of style and just kind of like, just like James Patterson and kind of to a greater degree, I don't know. Dan Brown is a little bit more complex in that regard for, you know, these characters and this far flung globe trotting stuff. But, um, but really when it comes to Coons, people would always tell me that, you know, there are tropes and his, his own tropes where there's going to be a golden retriever and there's going to be this secret society and it's going to be the blah, blah, blah. And after a while they would say, you know, you start seeing these things over and over again. He starts repeating himself. And, um, I don't know. I mean, I would say definitely uh, that that happens. I mean, with Stephen King, uh, I I really I like listen to his audiobooks. He's got some great readers, some great readers. But when he reads them himself, you can almost hear him writing it. And he's and I hate to bring it up. I hate to bring it up, but he says if you if anyone's reading Stephen King, look around for the and why not and why not. Every time I hear it on the audio, and why not? He says it a thousand times. Um, so there are these little things when you're such a prolific writer, things are going to repeat themselves. So because of that, um, I haven't read that much Dean Coons. Um, I tried on Thomas, totally loved it. Complete heart, absolute heart. Um, and I read Demon Seed and then I was so pissed off because he had re-released it and, uh, and changed things. Um, about it with the re-release from the seventies to the nineties. I'm sure everybody remembers that I went off on a tangent. I went off. I was, I was on a tear. I was on a tear that time. Um, but, uh, because of that, I just haven't tried out a whole lot of coons due to that. Um, and sometimes, I don't know when you're, uh, when you're looking around for books, like I always do for the shop and for myself and things, and you see stacks and stacks and stacks and stacks of Coons and King and Patterson and Clive Cussler and all that stuff, I tend to back off because they're just so available that I can wait. You know, I, maybe that's elitist. I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm looking for the diamonds in the rough. I'm not looking for the beach towel, you know. So, you know, that being said, oh man, Gillespie. Good God, man. Bringing up Chambers and, and uh, I've always said Macon. I don't know how you, uh, Machen, Macon, I'm not sure. Great God Pan is fantastic. The white people. Um, I recommend uh, Arthur Macon to anybody. It's this fantastic uh, fantasy. Um, it's so rich. And I mean, I hate to say it, but it's got this kind of like ancient quality to it that you just it's it's so hard to find um for real and um yeah definitely uh recommend arthur macon anything you can find great god pan uh i actually um 
I kind of paid through the nose, but it was worth it. I found, I found a, a book of his letters and it's wonderful seeing like the real people behind this, this fantastic realm that they, they create, especially when it's, it just, Arthur Machen, especially, it just seems like it's so far in the past. Uh, but Robert Chambers, it's, uh, it blows my mind how, um, serendipitous things can be. Um, I found King in Yellow just by accident. And I read King in Yellow in a steak and shake in Kentucky at like five in the morning one time. Cause I just found it in some thrift shop or whatever. Um, and I loved it. And now it's like Robert Chambers is known because of this King in Yellow, because I guess it's because of True Detective. I've never watched that show, um, but it ended up exploding, and now he's got a new audience due to that. I'm totally fine with that, and I think he uh, wrote a bunch of westerns too. Uh, but yeah, check those two out, Robert Chambers and Mason for sure. Uh, best movie adaptation of a book that you've ever watched? I'd have to say Fight Club, flat out. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's one of those things where you'd never think in a million trillion years that there could be a faithful representation and i have to say representation it's definitely an adaptation i mean uh for a while when i was you know younger i thought that it had to be ironclad totally totally specific down to the wire exact um reproduction of a book on film and not only does that not work um it will never work because um they're so different there's such uh different uh media that if you try to do that, something's going to get lost in a translation, and it's probably something that you would have wanted. Um, but yeah, Fight Club, uh, without a doubt, has got to be one of the best. And on a counterpoint to that, um, I watched Choke, which is one of my favorite Palinac books, Chuck Palinac books. Um, I had a conversation with, with a friend who, where we kind of talked about... Uh, how Palinac can kind of be old hat, uh, one trick type of things. And in some ways that's right. And it might, it might also be because he packs so much interest like lullaby. Um, that's way up there for me too. I love choke and I love lullaby. Um, because there are so many things that shouldn't go together that he's able to bring together. But over time, sometimes it gets a little tiresome, I guess. But, um, there's a different, I think that he kind of tries to bust convention every single time he makes a book. Uh, and like, uh, um, I think it's snuff. I think it's about like this porn orgy marathon or whatever. And, uh, it reminded me a lot of uh, Nichols and Baker's Vox where it's almost like a conversation that you're reading between two people and, or many people, uh, a conversational type of a book. But, um, Vox was interesting. Although I would totally recommend the Fermata by Nicholas and Baker. Definitely check that out. Um, it's about a guy who from, he was a child, he can stop time. So he, uh, he gets into all kinds of hijinks and it sounds comedic, but it kind of ends up in like, there's like pathetic, um, sad, uh, and kind of like soul crushing moments in that book. Uh, but let's see. Cody's talking about bringing an author back from the dead. Uh, if it's Alexander Dumas, I can't, I can't decide whether or not Dumas would, um, would flourish now or would just straight up kill himself. It's hard to say, um, because he could, he's a man of many parts. I totally recommend if you can find, 
you'd probably have to read like three biographies of uh, Dumas. I think it's um, is it Nipper? There's like a he's got like a title that's kind of like latched onto his name. Um, that means like father or something like that. Uh, but um, yeah, Count of Monte Cristo. I found out that it has a sequel, uh, which is awesome. It's called, um, I think it's just called Edmond Dantes, but, um, I found that in the antique shop the other day. So I'll have to kind of check and see about the prominence of that. Um, voice in the night, uh, two childhood friends. I can see that being great. Um, but sometimes it makes me wonder in the coons vein, if, uh, it makes me wonder if, especially if he's trying to go for like the kids and how they were in the small town and this horrible thing that happened in between them. It makes me wonder sometimes if he was trying to break into Stephen King's bag. But who knows? Um, let's see. <laughs> yes, these are bruises from reading. Yes, I'm comfortable with that. I'm enlightened. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Sarah's talking about a new pound act about vibrators. I'm unaware. I'm totally unaware of that. Doesn't surprise me in the least, though. Um the guy has uh, has a lot going. He's got a lot going. Uh, Cranked by Ellen Hopkins. I do. I have not read it. Uh, I think I have it in the shop, though. I know that it was really critically acclaimed due to kind of like the exploration of the drug use uh, in adolescence or, or something like that. So I felt that it needed to be in the shop uh, because you kind of have to have that conversation. You know, who knows how they're going to talk about that stuff. It's hard to say, but there you go. I think I'm at the bottom right now. So get to use my handy dandy, uh, koozie. What's up? I'll do it for you. Oh, cool. Um, so since there's a little bit of a break, I will. Oh, oh, beautiful. Oh, okay. Line of sex toys takes over the female population. I am fascinated. Um, you know what that, um, it's not even the same thing, but what that kind of reminded me of, thanks dude, um, what that kind of reminds me of is, uh, Regiment of Women by Thomas Berger, easily one of the most thought-provoking books I've ever read. Um, it's one of the books where I just kind of, I totally stumbled over by accident. Um, but when I did... I ended up reading all of Tom Berger's, uh, Thomas Berger's stuff. And I found out he wrote Little Big Man. Uh, and he wrote... Um, um, it's called like Seeing Evil. Something like that. Um, but he wrote... Uh, he wrote these books about this guy named Reinhardt. Who's kind of like... Um, the normal kind of schlubby... Not necessarily a scoundrel. I'm sure he'd like to be a scoundrel. But he's just not su- successful enough to be a scoundrel. And, um, at, at the same time, somehow the Reinhardt books by Thomas Berger, uh, Reinhardt's women and, um, their other names for him. Um, but somehow it managed to be, manages to be completely politically incorrect, but just about as literary and intellectual and insanely the vocab the vocabulary in that book is insane. Uh, Melanie made fun of me. Not made fun of me. 
but she brought it up. Uh, she caught me reading a, a dictionary the other day. I've always done it. I love it. Um, I'm obsessed with the English language, English words. Um, and you know, that's, oh yeah, Oxford. Yeah. Uh, Oxford companion to English literature. I brought this along. This is such a wonderful, you know, a lot of people, it's probably even become a cliche at this point, but people are like, Ooh, I love the feel of books. I love the smell of books and whatever. Something that they rarely ever talk about that really, maybe they just can't voice it because they don't think anybody will understand, which is silly because I think anyone would understand. But dictionaries and kind of um, the books where it's so, they're so fat that their pages have to be almost like onion skin, like Bibles. There's this, maybe you can pick it up, I'm not sure. I think that actually did it really well. Do you hear that? That like thunk, that thumping sound. I love that so much. It's crazy. I don't know. I don't know. And um, I wouldn't even want a cover to this. I'm sure that a cover. Um, ooh, there's some on the inside of this. I think. Um, oh yeah. What's it? What is it? It is a calendar from 2006. Who knows? But um, that's not mine. I know that. I've opened this things a lot, a lot since then. So. Yeah. I'm insane. Anyway, uh, let's see. What was the story you read at a young age that that had you interested in writing? Comics and novellas, etc. Um, I would say, and you know, it's going to sound, it's going to sound totally like a cliche. But I can't help it. Because um, it's just, it's such a great memory of mine. But uh, my sister took me to... I believe it was Northgate Mall uh, in Ohio. And she she was kind of sidled with me. Didn't really want to have to dick around with me. And she knew that I was capable. So I think I was around, I was in kind of like the 9-ish, 10-ish. I might have been older. I can't remember now. But I think it was like 9-ish, 10-ish. And she dropped me off this place called the Little Professor Bookstore. I'm not so sure they exist anymore. But it was basically like a... Walden Books, B. Dalton, Little Professor, they were kind of interchangeable uh, back then in malls. And she dropped me off and she said, you know, I'll be back whenever. Because she knew that I was going to be totally fine. I was totally wrapped. Wrapped. So I went in there and I looked around and she said, oh yeah, by the way, she said, uh, anything you want, I'll get it for you. Anything you want is yours. Just look around, see what you want, I'll be back. Well... The book that I found, it was out of my reach. It was, the, the spine of it was black and red and white and shades of gray. And the spine had a, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but the spine had a person who's bringing back a cloak and their face is human, but the rest of their body is this skeletal form like covered in cobwebs and there's like a spider and everything. And it turned out that it was, a, in my opinion, one of the densest uh, compilations of Lovecraft that's ever existed. It's called Blood Curdling Tales of Horror in the Macabre. It came from Del Rey and it had um, this fantastic art on the cover. Too bad that I was hoping when I saw it, when the, they ended up getting it down for me, I could see it. I was hoping that it had illustrations like that on the inside, kind of like scary stories to tell in the dark. Um, but it didn't. But the cover was good enough, it had everything you'd ever want. Um, but, um, I'd have to say that it would have to be, 
it would have to be that. Um, and um, color out of space. Or maybe maybe The Outsider. I mean, if it has to come down to you know what had me interested in writing, it's probably The Outsider by H.P. Lovecraft. That's the first one that I can remember um, that would have done that because it's... Um, it has such a great, uh, I guess you call it a turn, not so much like a trick. I don't think it's a trick because you kind of, in this really short span of time, you can empathize with this character. And then once you have, then you realize that it's not at all what you thought the character was. And it has to do with point of view and it has to do with, um, being outcast, whether it's from your own actions or from the beliefs or the, the biases of others. So even though it's, it's a flat out book of horror, I think that that was kind of a nuance that, that made me think that just because something says it's a mystery doesn't mean it's not going to have elements of romance. Just because someone says it's a comedy doesn't mean it's not going to have elements of horror. Um, which I think is kind of like the telltale sign of, of something that's uh, worth your time. So there you go. Did I hear them making a movie? Yes, I have. Um, and I'm really super skeptical. Despite it being Guillermo del Toro, uh, whom I love, and Big Curly, let me borrow Shape of Water, still haven't watched it yet. Sometimes it's difficult to to find the time when you can watch something that kids necessarily can't watch. Um, oh, yeah. I love... See, it, us talking about The Outsider, the story of The Outsider by Lovecraft, us talking about it like this is almost like inflating it past its uh, thing. Or past its kind of like, I don't know. Not necessarily scope, because I'd say that the... I don't know what you'd say. I mean, we're kind of... If people go into it with this big opinion or expectation, then they might miss the true essence of the story. But um, can't help it, because it's just... It's, it's kind of profound, really, when you think about it. Um, but yeah, for the scary stories movie, um, it almost seems to me like it would almost have to be animated. Uh, I don't see how you could, um, capture that without that specific art, specific art. Um, and then they, they ended up re-releasing scary stories to tell in the dark with different art and it just fell flat on its face because everybody remembered that art, the art in and of itself is so unusual and you don't see any other art in a children's book that's even remotely like that there's i think there was one and i ended up finding out that it was the same guy because i remember thinking wow here's a book that's just about a couple of kids on the farm and it has to do with this horse or whatever and i was like that looks so much like the scary stories told in the dark that's creeping me out and then it turns out that it was the same uh, person so there's not one part of a book that um outweighs the others in a good book, you have to have all the pieces in place. Otherwise, it doesn't uh, doesn't come off. I mean, sometimes they're... For me, as long as... You know, most of the time. I try to avoid... Like, movie-branded books if I can manage it. I don't know. It just kind of cheapens it for me. But sometimes the story is so important to me that I'll... I'll go for it. Even, you know, even though... I'm glad that I found the... Um, uh, I'm glad I found the Area X uh, trilogy before the Annihilation movie came out because that that cover is just boring. 
I'm not exactly sure <laughs> how are you going to have a, a book like Annihilation and a movie like Annihilation and just have a, a photo of just people just kind of standing around. I don't know. What are you going to do? Maybe there's some sort of um, group. I'm sure they study every little nuance of a poster, of a TV spot, of a trailer, all that stuff. So they know a lot more than me. They have a lot more experience, but I think they'd be good to get away from that. Um, so anyway, yeah, um, kind of remember when I was talking about vocab, um, in these books, uh, I, I'm also reading, I, I have a problem. I, uh, I rarely ever read one book at a time. Um, but I read, um, Ed Gorman. I remember, uh, I don't know who remembers, but. They came out once upon a time, right after the uh, original Michael Keaton Batman movie came out. They released all of these compilations. I think Martin Greenberg was the editor of Martin H. Greenberg. Um, but they released these books that had compilations of Batman stories or Penguin stories, Catwoman stories, that type of thing. They never did Superman. I guess he's too boring in some respects. Except for All-Star Superman. Everybody check that out. It's awesome. Um, but in this one Batman story compilation, uh, I found this one by Ed Gorman in there. And if I remember correctly, I think it was, sometimes I get Jor Lansdale and Ed Gorman mixed up, but there was one, I believe it was called Subway Jack, um, that Ed Gorman had done. And I'll, I'll read anything by him now, but, uh, I found this, can I have a book hand real quick? Um, I found this book and it turned out I was totally flabbergasted that I had found an Ed Gorman book, uh, because I just, I never saw his name on books anywhere. I just saw stories of his and things like that. And, uh, <laughs> so I found this one, it's called blood moon and total thrift shop find. And it turned out, um, I thought the cover was really great because at first blush, you can normally tell, and this is going to come off wrong. It's going to come out wrong, but, and maybe it just has to do with how many books that I see on a regular basis. I don't know, but I can usually tell, um, Christian published books and self-published books from a mile away. This one was really well put together and, um, it's got great reviews on the back from everybody so it's weird that this had to be self-published at all. Or maybe, actually now that I think about it, I don't think it was self-published as much as um, it was collected by an independent publisher. And the publisher, what is it called? Publisher Art, darn it. Sorry. Ramble House. And Ramble House, <laughs> I was looking on their catalog and they have some of the weirdest books, weirdest books that they found. Um, but I'm totally, I'm going to check it out. But anyway, um, I was reading this and it ended up being a totally, uh, stand up. I don't know what those motions mean, Andrew. One hour. Oh, okay. <laughs> so what was the cupped hand motion? What does that mean? That one. What's that? Zero, zero. Oh, 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 we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I thought he was trying to tell me that like rabid crabs had uh, had invaded the place. 
Although, then again, I am in his house. But uh, he's sitting on the couch, not me. Um, but uh, this Blood Moon, Robert Payne mystery, I don't know. I tend to avoid also. Maybe I just see so many books that I have little quirks. I don't know. I'm not a gigantic fan of books that say a such-and-such such mystery or the first in a trilogy. It seems, I don't know. There's something just kind of... I don't know. There's a lot of assumptions there. Um, I mean, if you're writing books and you think it might be a trilogy and maybe to other people, people get excited when they find out that the book that they picked up is part of a trilogy. I don't know. But personally, if there's only been one published and they're already telling you that it's going to be a trilogy, that already puts a bias in my head already, you know, because they're just kind of, um, assuming that it's so good that you're going to go out for the other two or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's just with, within me, but, um, let's see. Oh my gosh. TJ, uh, the scary stories books. I can, I can totally pull them up from memory. I can just bring them up in my head right now. And it might be because how could they be more simple and complex at the same time? Because, they themselves, like the, um, dude, I'm sorry, dude, he's got a name. He's got a name. Andrew Moore. The man is so important to this. I don't know what I call him. Dude. Uh, if you can bring up, see if you can find some of those illustrations to put up because. Oh yeah. Kind of like the back of his head. Yeah. Like that's, um, uh, okay. Jennifer, what was the scream about? Was that just like you're coming to the end of your, your rope? I, it, I get excited if the story's good. That means it'll take me more than a day to read it. Um, she blows through. She totally is a lightning. She is a lightning bolt when it comes to, to reading these books. I went, oh, uh, oh, okay. I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Um, I, uh, I plan, I don't know when it'll come to fruition. I'm always talking about these projects that I sort of start i never get around to it um i'm hoping if i can to someday have a uh, to branch out slightly and have uh at least one other show uh video video show live or maybe not live but um on, i guess you'd say kind of in the field or whatever and i would like to kind of go around to um go around to different little known bookshops and kind of like give them some exposure. So I was in Batesville, uh, not too long ago, Batesville, Indiana. Uh, I guess you'd say home of Hillrom company. Uh, if ever you see a, uh, a hospital bed, uh, a nice hospital bed in a movie, chances are it's been made in Batesville. Um, yeah, that guy, um, for some reason, the one, do you see the one on the bottom? He doesn't kind of have that weird over underbite thing. I think that might be a, a copy. Somebody like copying his style. You see the one, see the, the one that's on the cover and there's one directly below it that doesn't look quite right. Anyhow, we're looking over the scary stories, uh, art right now. But, um, when I was in Batesville, I was passing through. I probably should have been working. Um, I picked up a couple of books. I was looking for a couple of uh, authors for uh, for Mel. And <laughs> I found 
Number one, if anyone has ever seen the basketball scene from uh, Deadly Friend with <laughs> with Mama from Throw Mama from the Train, she's got a name. I'm not sure of it right now. She was uh, uh, Mama Fratelli in uh, The Goonies as well. But <laughs> I recommend, <laughs> I'm not telling you any more about it. <laughs> Go to YouTube and look up basketball scene, Deadly Friend. You won't be sorry, but <laughs> I found out about uh, Wes Craven had done that movie, and I found out about um, that it was a book first, and the book was called Friend. Can I have a book him again, or are you too busy? So uh, I went to when I went to Bookshelf. It's called the Bookshelf. It's in Batesville, Indiana. It's easily one of the best kept secrets in Batesville. Um, I've never watched Doctor Who. Um, here's the book, Friend, by Diana Henstel. Um, but I, like I said, I've never watched Doctor Who, but that place is like the TARDIS. You, there's this little building, and it's on the corner of this, in these, this, this, uh, the corner of these two streets, and you, it doesn't look like it's anything. And it's in there. It looks so small. And you go inside and it's just insane amounts of books in that, in that shop. And I love them with a passion. Uh, if it gives you any, uh, indication, I, uh, ooh, folded pages, page folders. Hmm. I need to string them up. Um, uh, I'm getting bad out of shape now. Um, but, uh, I found friend there. And while I was there, I was talking about, there's, there's a meaning to all this. When I was talking about Jennifer being a lightning bolt reading, I found a button there that says slow reader and it has a sloth laying in a book and I bought it immediately because I'm a pretty slow reader. But, um, yeah, so this is, uh, the book that deadly friend is based on. And so far as I can tell. I, I mean, I've heard that there are major changes between the book and the movie, but like I said before, um, a lot of times that's for the better. We're showing right now. You showing right now? This that picture. Awesome. Oh, let me see that again. Oh, that's a great one. Oh, that's a great one. Um, but they're all good. But with the uh, the um, where am I now? With the scary stories uh, art. Um. It was almost like cobwebs or something. It was like these strings that were kind of clinging together and making this horrific face or something that used to be a face or something that was never a face but kind of looks like a face. It was awesome. When I think of scary stories to tell in the dark, um, I also think of a book by Daniel Cohen called Southern Fried Rat and Other Ghastly Tales. Um, I'll never forget it. Aurora Elementary Library. Well, let's see. Abdul Alzared, Alzared wrote a passage in the Nakadamakan to summon you. Oh my God! What was the first and last sentence of the uh, of the spell to summon me be? It would probably be the skull of ages. Would be the first one. Uh, voluminous and and vastly empty. 
And then the last line would be, you've made a tremendous mistake. Close the door and lock the cosmic key. Uh, something like that. Because it'd be a gigantic mistake to summon me back from anywhere you've banished me to. Believe me, it would. Uh, let's see. Book of Nod. Ever read it? History of Vampires. Um, when it comes to History of Vampires, uh, despite kind of like the religious zealotry attached to him, Montague Summers, for me, is one of the best scholars of uh, vampires and werewolves that's ever existed in history. Um, usually I think of Hans Holzer when I think of uh, the history of ghosts. When I think of the history of vampires and werewolves, I think of um, Montague Summers. He also wrote The Witch's Hammer, the Malleus Malficarum mentioned in um, Dan Brown's movie, at least, of uh, Da Vinci Code. Um, and that's good, too. Uh, even though it totally leaves the part out where uh, men would walk up to young children in, in uh, different places and pinch them and say it was the devil's mark and then uh, throw them in the, the dunking chair. Let's see... Um, Jennifer, did I say the author of Friend? Uh, sometimes you find it. It's Diana Henstell. Uh, H-E-N-S-T-E-L-L. Henstell. Um, sometimes you see it, and it's a uh, an acronym. Uh, like a, It's got dots, like for the robotic part of, of the Deadly Friend. And Jennifer, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. But after I bought this, I mean, you can never have too many copies, right? I might have another copy. I'll have to search around. Um, it's not a hardback, but uh, there you go. Um, another good book. Which book is that? I don't know what we were talking about. Um, all these little vague comments. I, I need a little bit more. I'm going through. I'm saying a lot of stuff. At a lot of different times, and I'm just speaking out of my, uh, you know what. Okay. So, I need book cam again. Because, who knows? I mean, I read the back, too. Uh, but, a lot of times, the um, <laughs> the covers, if I'm in a little bit of a hurry, and there's a bunch of stuff I've never heard of, and whatever, uh, <laughs> I go for it. But, this says... I'm a big fan of feral kids in in books. The three-year-olds in the Central Park playgroup look like normal, bright, blue-jeaned kids. But they're different. They can read each other's minds. They can feel inside each other's emotions. They can make themselves like other kids. They can make other kids like them. Or they can turn them into big, lifeless, flopping dolls and make them play dead forever that's the most fun of all i mean get out of here how are you possibly gonna resist that book oh man i can't wait to read this one nancy weber the playgroup um i'm not uh, am i still on book cam um i guess playgroup isn't my favorite i don't know I mean, I guess it's what you would have to say. Um, this almost makes me think that this isn't in America. But it doesn't say. 
I'm sure as, as soon as I start reading it, I'll realize. Actually, um, Cody, he asked me earlier. Um, he he may have not have thought that he was um, going to be able to make it tonight, but he asked me about punctuation, um, which I mean I was totally interested flat out as soon as he said that. He uh, he was asking me what's up with the kind of like the the difference in punctuation between books like Frankenstein and Alice in Wonderland and books today. And I told him I would field it as best I could. I think that, um, number one, I think that you have to consider time, the time period. Um, you have to consider geography, uh, where it is. Personally, myself, I always uh, prefer British versions of books. Um, I'm not exactly sure why. They almost always have better covers. They almost always are put together better. Um, you might also have, um, I think they patronize their readers less. I listened to a interview between an author that kind of fell through the cracks, uh, with Harlan Ellison. There was, a um, a short lived Harlan Ellison show on sci-fi channel, uh, back when they were still calling it, um, the sci-fi channel, uh, and he interviewed with someone and the guy, he's an Australian writer of science fiction and fantasy. And he, uh, his name slips my mind right now. He never, uh, he didn't get big over here. Um, but I'm sure he's big elsewhere. Uh, anyone that Harlan Ellison says on the way up is, is gotta just bust through the ceiling or had said anyway, RIP. Uh, but basically the Australian writer said that, um, they have a high, they have a higher appreciation outside of America. They don't have to kind of spoon feed you, uh, things in, in other, other parts of the world. So is that hating on America? Is it a diatribe on things that exist? I'll leave that up to you. Uh, but, um, let's see here. What book? Okay. TJ's getting on the action again. What book would you say really grabbed you the hardest and immersed you the deepest into its story? that's kind of a tough one to, to put it to a single vote. Uh, I was actually asked, I, I'm kind of sad. I haven't seen Jared Edward on here tonight. He's, um, he's incredibly well-read guy. Uh, but he asked just kind of blanket to the universe. He asked, um, what's everybody's five favorite books or whatever. And I told him it would be really super difficult to have a list be that small. But, um, book that really grabbed me the hardest and immersed you the deepest into a story there were two that came to mind instantly and they're kind of on two different sides of, of the, of the genre gap. And I would have to say that one would be the tomb by F Paul Wilson. Uh, the maiden voyage of uh, Repairman Jack in a novel, uh, because that book has everything. The tomb is a very limited title for what that book is about. Um, if anyone isn't uh, familiar with Repairman Jack, uh, Stephen King is the president of the Repairman Jack fan club. And um, Andrew Vax, the uh, the child abuse advocate, lawyer, and author of really, really super gritty uh, Burke novels, uh, is a big fan of Repairman Jack as well. Basically, he is a fixer of problems. So 
uh, it goes as as small as uh, trying to find some um, some heirloom that was stolen in a mugging to things that have to do with the UN. But in the process, um, he finds himself in the midst of a uh, basically a war for the uh, the safety and salvation of the world from unseen ancient dark powers. And uh, it's really funny uh, because it was years. It was over a decade between the first book and the second. And then all of a sudden he started just writing sequels one after the other after the other um, in order to finish this adversary cycle that he had kind of started and peppered throughout other horror books that he had written um, that have to do with the importance of Repairman Jack. So I'd have to say that that one, although definite point of order on that one, make sure whatever you do, and this is just my opinion, if you haven't read it, it probably doesn't matter. But for me, I read the original one, which was set in Betamax. He's watching, he he has uh, marathons of old James Whale uh, films and other black and white films too. But he watches like Frankenstein and Bride of Frankenstein, Invisible Man, things like that. Uh, but uh, he used a Betamax in that book. And if you see the tomb now, he's pulled that Lucas shit. And he's went back and he, and just like Dean Coons with the Demon Seed, he's gone back and he's changed the DVD and he made little changes to update the time period and stuff. In this case, it's a little different because he he set the sequels in the present time instead of setting it, instead of making a period piece to link up a little better with the older book. He updated those to this time so then he had to kind of follow suit with the other one otherwise it wouldn't make sense so that's a little bit different but i still don't pardon it shouldn't be done um the second one i think of is the secret history by donna tart that book is intense but in such a heartfelt like dark heart the dark heart of a human being is really on, uh, it's really exposed. And then also kind of like, uh, the secrets behind the collegiate world, um, of youth and kind of like the, um, the breaking of the rules of society behind the closed doors, the kind of like the cloistered areas of the collegiate world and how many, how many things happen behind the the bastions of power and uh, prestige and, and beside uh, a school is great. And I guess that kind of like along those same lines, Rules of Attraction by Brett Easton Ellis, that was a, an intense one. Uh, I remember uh, Gravity the Hardest and Mercy the Deepest. I'm also tempted to say American Psycho. I read that in college in six hours. That's probably the quickest I've ever read a book. Um, especially since it's, uh, there's a lot of, uh, stream of consciousness. Sometimes it's difficult to follow that stuff. Um, but if it, anyone who knows me knows me well enough to know that this is odd. What I had to do after I was finished with American Psycho is go find something cheerful to do, which is really rare for me. Um, Usually that doesn't happen. I I totally delve into the the dark stuff, reading and watching movies and all that. 
But that one in particular, I had to go do something cheerful. So there you go. Um, oh my gosh. Favorite book to recommend. I think if the question is, what's the book that I've recommended the most? Um, I'd say probably Memoirs of an Invisible Man by H.F. H. Saint. And uh, notwithstanding the John Carpenter film, uh, that movie didn't know what it wanted to be. There's a lot of great parts in that movie. and uh, But they left most of that book behind. Um, and it's one of the rare occasions where a writer gets it right the first time, gets critical acclaim, gets money for the book, and then that's all they need. They do one book and then they disappear. And uh, it's nowhere near as prestigious as To Kill a Mockingbird, but it's kind of the same thing. People will tell me that uh, uh, Go Set a Watchman is a, uh, is a book by Harper Lee. And to them, I'll go, enjoy the fruits of extortion, motherfucker. Because, uh, yeah, I don't believe in Ghost Set of Watchmen. Enjoy it if you must, but uh, that was gotten through duress. That was uh, published um, by by someone who trusted their family uh, in, the, in the fading years of their life. And um, it got screwed over pretty hard. So... Read it if you must. Not me. Not yours truly. So, there you go. Um, anyway. So, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Andrew's like, oh, God, he's going off the rails. Shit's hitting the fan. He's getting intense. Uh, well, I believe in what I believe in. What are you going to do? Okay, so the third book that I got... Uh, the third book that I got from the bookshelf in uh, Batesville, the fine town of Batesville. <laughs> it pulls no punches. It's called Hellstorm. <laughs> it's got a great old cover on it, too. This is one of those wonderful covers that <laughs> that happened in a period of time that we'll probably never, ever get again. Um, 500 years ago. Go, Jacob Weir, brilliant Swiss-born scientist, alchemist, and philosopher, raided a remote Scottish chapel and slipped out of history with his prize, the unholy Book of Might. Its pages filled with the secrets of demonic power, inscribed by the sulfurous hand of Lucifer himself. For five centuries, the book was lost, consigned to oblivion. Now it's found. Now, it says, now it's found. So, now is 1990. So, it's a little bit, I was going to say 88, but uh, there you go. At the smoking portal of the netherworld, victory could mean salvation for Weir, but failure grants Satan dominion over Earth and means eternal damnation for all. That kind of reminds me of the, um, the explanation of a book called Demons. I think it's by John Steakley, I believe. Uh, that is an interesting one. Um, Andrew, too, where you been? I already did that favorite book, the movie adaptation. Uh, let me see if I can come up with a second, a runner-up uh, for movie adaptation. Uh, I have to think about that for a second. Because um, for me, it's 
a fight club is probably the best by far um i guess let's put it this way fight club is definitely the favorite book to movie and i'm gonna get a lot of flack for this i'm gonna get a lot of flack for this but like i said before it has to do with translation you know representation you got to get the tone right you have to have the certain beats you can do without there are things that work in print there are things that work on paper that um if you try to put them in the film it'll slog along it'll it'll give you the wrong you know if you can and especially if you can translate to a different time period uh so in this case i've already done the book it's fight club if i were to say comic book um flat out i'd have to say Watchmen, and it's because uh for me anyway uh okay so this is favorite book to movie adaptation so I can say it because I'm not necessarily saying it's the best, but I'm saying it's my favorite. It would be Watchmen. Um, I think that they got so many emotional uh, chords right with that. Um, And, you know, it's not to say I wouldn't change things about it, but it seemed like all the fat and all the, I guess you'd say like pandering and some of the more uh, philosophical aspects that, could be due through visuals and tone, um, I think were captured and, uh, it gets a lot of flack. A lot of people say that it's not on point. There was stuff, but then again, like I said, with media, there were things that were done in the formatting of that book, um, that, that gave it this power that you just can't, I mean, like for instance, Hulk, the Ang Lee Hulk movie. It tried to do these comic panel uh, camera tricks that's kind of reminiscent of, um, uh, if anyone's ever seen the Boston Strangler movie by uh, Fleischer, they kind of tried to do that too, where you you might have like a different point of view and it's almost like a comic book where you see like a frame over here that shows the front of someone's face and then a frame here that's in profile and a frame here that's kind of like, over their shoulder, showing you their point of view. Oh, um, I think okay. Uh, Andrew said kind of like Scott Pilgrim. Here's what I have to say about that. In my opinion, Scott Pilgrim did everything right. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, with with making it um, kind of like immersed in the comic and immersed in the video game. I never read the comic, so I wouldn't know how far off base they went. But for me. I think that Edgar Wright totally captured everything it needed to be to be the perfect non-video game video game movie. Um, so that was really super, super well done. It's one of the only things I can stand um, uh, Sarah in. And uh, I actually spoke to Big Curly the other day about Magic Magic. Uh, that was one where I had watched the trailer and I wanted to see Michael Sarah play a, a psychotic and uh, but I haven't gotten around to it yet. There's so many things on my plate. I don't get to uh, I don't get to experience everything I'd like to. Um, Sin City, um, Sin City, to me personally, doesn't hold up over time. Um, Spirit never did, which was uh, <laughs> I could have strangled Frank Miller for doing the Spirit movie because it's it's almost as if with some of these movies. Um, they come up with just like a checklist 
where they say, okay, what do we got? We got a bunch of uh, really beautiful, sexy femme fatales. Check. Okay, so we have uh, black and white. It was done in black and white, even though the spirit wasn't a lot of times. There's a lot of color, a lot of color. I mean, when you're thinking about um, a comic that was done primarily by a an artist that a comic book award has been named after the Eisner award. Will Eisner did the spirit and you're going to try to distill it down to these base elements. It didn't work. And I was pissed about that because I love to be some spirit. And in fact, cool, cool, fun fact. Um, Brad bird who did the Incredibles and uh, the iron giant, a couple of my favorite ever favorite movies ever um he did some test footage for a spirit animated movie i guess when he was still in school and look it up on youtube brad bird spirit uh concept you can probably get some concept and also they have some moving uh moving animation for that Ugh, missed opportunity i would love if he picked that back up again because the spirit, the Will Eisner spirit. I'm off on a tangent again. But tonight's about tangents. Cool. Um, there were so many subtle in your, but, and also in your face uh, messages. Um, you know, about anti-Semitism and uh, living in slums, the depression, things like that. A city life. How the city was a living, breathing uh, character. And uh, Will Eisner's The Spirit. Totally recommend it. Any place you can get it. It's awesome. Because the art sometimes would take over the entire show. I'd say that the closest thing... Um, the closest thing to it I can come up with... When it comes to a, a good spirit um, adaptation... Would have been Darwin Cook's run on The Spirit. Fantastic artist. Uh, he also did The New Frontier. The DC... Um, kind of like this 60s... Green Lantern based story where uh, Wonder Woman, I think it's the first time I'd ever seen it done and hopefully they're still doing it now in the comics. I'm not sure. But in the new frontier, uh, Wonder Woman stood something like four or five inches taller than, than Superman. Cause I mean, she's an Amazon, right? She had, she's bigger than normal people. And um, it really kind of put Superman in his place. It was really cool. I recommend that wholeheartedly. Uh, so yeah, there you go. Um, just a bit on kind of like authors that I know, uh, John Cosper, like I said before, totally recommend him. Check him out on Amazon for the big bag of night. It's uh, brand new. Uh, I would, I'm not sure about this, but I would be surprised if I wasn't one of the first people to have a copy of the big bag of night. And I am pumped about getting back to it. It's so much fun. But, um, First book I did on the show, Porcelain by Nate Southerd, uh, he's he's starting to have a pretty impressive backlog of books. So, you know, uh, when I was talking about kind of like the self-publishing thing, um, I definitely look on it a lot differently than I used to. I think that the um, the tenor of, of just publishing itself has kind of changed uh, due to a lot of factors, you know. Uh, I think it may be, I mean, is it maybe a YouTube type of uh, DIY 
fame, fandom, uh, thing that's going on, I'm not sure. But uh, now, uh, it's something where you can kind of make your own thing, and you don't have to necessarily wait around for uh, a publisher to to take stock in it. And sometimes it becomes the best resume you can have. If you start kind of a fan base in these smaller things, then you can get picked up by a larger uh, publisher later. But uh, definitely check out Nate Southerd, uh Static Transmissions, I think it's called. Static Broadcasts. Uh, NateSouther.com, Static Broadcasts. Uh, I think that he's one of the... Um, I mean, you have to... <laughs> you have to admire the fact that he may not be as, uh, as up to date on his blog as he could be, but the reason why is because he's writing. So I can't, uh, I can't fault him for that. And in fact, it was, it was pretty awesome. He stopped by the shop, uh, not too long ago and I hadn't seen him in forever. It was a dog's age. And I finally got to see him and it was great to see him. NateSutter.com, uh, static broadcast. Check that out. Uh, and also him on Amazon and anywhere, you know, you can get books online, check it out. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up, uh, also, uh, one of my favorite, um, one of my favorite adaptations of books is, um, the presentation of like an audiobook reading of any kind. I think that it, it's brought storytelling along for, uh, thousands of years and there's nothing quite like it. I mean, as a child, there are so many developmental things, uh, developmental things that happen when your parents do something as simple as reading to you. Um, that I, I think that kind of like the spoken word as it uh, pertains to books is fantastic. So that being said, definitely check out the lift. Um, it's a, um, it is a, uh, I don't know if you call it a pod. I think you call it a podcast. But they basically, um, they read other people's works into their continuing story of, I think it's an elevator. But um, check that out. And I'm not, it's slipping my mind what uh, show it's on. Uh, but there's a, I believe he's an Australian um, actor, voice artist, who reads uh, stories online. And it's slipping my mind right now. But... If you look for N-O-M-I, Nomi, by Brooke Wara, um, there is an excellent reading of that story, and um, I was lucky enough to kind of be around in the vicinity when uh, when she was getting that written. I, uh, I got to see it really early in its inception, and um, it's great. Um, it's, it's definitely something where you your expectations are destroyed. So definitely check out Brooke Wara. She's writing all over the place. Um, she may actually, um, she used to be part of the staff at Sanitarium Magazine. And I think that the writers have brought that back from the ashes. So check out Sanitarium Magazine, Brooke Wara, um, W-A-R-R-A. Nomi and uh, other things. Uh, I think there was the Tin Heart was another story. So uh, definitely check her out. And, um, oh, one thing, um, you guys may have noticed uh, a different piece of music. I know that Big Curly did. Um, at the top of the show, for some reason, I don't know, the, the old song would just kind of get me down for some reason. So I decided since I was kind of, I don't know, I'd say my hiatus is, is probably 
longer and worse than anyone else that's uh, any other of the shows on here at this point. Uh, so I decided to come back and do something a little off kilter. And uh, so I changed the song. But who knows? Uh, let me know how you like it in the comments or message me, whatever you like. Uh, it was a little more adventurous. Um, we were, you know, we've been thinking a lot about if you guys have seen, hopefully you have, it's great. The pointless discussions, uh, kind of like little opening sitcom, uh, uh, opening. And we've been hashing back and forth, kind of talking about maybe doing an opening for the diabolical index and what's that? Oh yeah. And, uh, Andrew says we need to get big curly involved. Um, we were given some thought to maybe having something that may not be live action for that. So, um, keep that on your mind, James. Um, but I needed something that had a little bit more oomph to it. And, um, I'm always a big fan of, <laughs> I think it's almost a trope now where they have these parts where there's a certain kind of plucking music where it's kind of, I don't know. It's a little bit fast paced, but not too much. And there's kind of a, mysterious edge but it's almost like heist type of movie and i think they call it like sciencing when you're doing a sciencing moment uh where you're building something or trying something um kind of akin to maybe that part in an event in, in uh, age of ultron where the science bros are trying to create ultron something like that um and i found this on uh i want to make sure to to plug him because it's required, number one, and um, also he was he's cool enough to have his own site uh, where he creates all the music on it, and uh, and it's royalty-free and um, free to use as long as you give him his props, and I'm all about uh, uh, plugging the artist. So it's Kevin McLeod, that's, uh, I hope I'm saying it right, M-C-L-E-O-D, kind of like Connor McLeod or the Clan McLeod, if anybody knows what I'm talking about there. But the uh, the name of the song is Black Vortex, and it's at incompetech.com. I-N-C-O-M-P-E-T-E-C-H, Incompetech. And uh, sooner or later, probably when we get when this gets to YouTube or whatever, we'll put the, uh, the physical um, link on there and give him his props. So, uh, since you've already done your favorite book-to-movie adaptation... Is there a particular book you would love to see picked up and get turned into a movie? You know, TJ, um, I totally forgot about one. And this is kind of, uh, this is important to uh, Magic Scroll Network in one way or another. But TJ and I have, have talked a few times about doing a crossover where um, either we'd both be on the same stage and do it both at the same time, or he comes and he guests on, uh, on Diabolical Index and I... Uh, come to Heckles and Horror and guest on his and talk about the ruins in book form and then talk about the ruins in movie form. I think that the that was a really good adaptation from book to movie as well on that one. Um, but Fight Club is just so striking that it just that's always the one that I think of first. Particular book that you would love to see get picked up and turned into a movie. I think um, I would almost have to go by genre on that one. I'm not so sure that I would have one overall. Um, I would love to see Gentlemen and Players by Joanna Harris 
it's kind of in the same, the secret history vein, uh, collegiate, uh, kind of like the betrayal and dark goings on behind the collegiate wall. But this one in particular is about kind of coming back and getting your, uh, just desserts and maybe exacting revenge at the same time. So that's a really good one. Um, but that would kind of be, I guess you, that would probably be more in the mystery, uh, almost drama though, too, on that one. Uh, when it comes to horror, so many, so many. One I was really pumped about when it did come out was Perfume, um, by Tom Tequer. What? He's laughing about Perfume. No, I laughed because you said you were pumped about it. (laughs) Oh! I guess I'm throwing puns in there. I didn't even pay attention. Um, But uh, I love the book Perfume by Patrick Siskind. And uh, when it came out as a movie, I was... I was impressed. They, it wasn't quite the, the figure that I had seen. Um, I think his name was Grinwee, uh, the protagonist and kind of antagonist. I mean, he's a villain as hero thing, but, um, that was one that I was pumped about. Okay. Let me see. Okay. What would I love to see get picked up, turned into a movie? Um, Oh, stainless steel rat. Uh, that's definitely one in the science fiction genre, uh, by Harry Harrison. Um, I would definitely love to see the stainless steel rat get picked up. Um, I remember, um, Derek, my, my nephew, he's, he's a bit busy on his own movie. All, uh, all who, I think it's all who follow all that follows. Sorry. I'm butchering that, but, but it's, um, a dark prophecy production, but anyway, he's, he's busy on that tonight. So he couldn't come out, but when he was younger, uh, I recommended the tomb, and stainless steel rat to him, and he ended up reading all the um, all the Repairman Jack books and all the stainless steel rat books. There is a stainless steel rat. Um, I think it's actually kind of difficult to find the first stainless steel rat book, uh, not put in the tri- trilogy, one book trilogy um, triple feature, and it has a stainless steel rat, stainless steel rat uh, saves the world, and stainless steel rat goes goes for broke or wanted dead or alive. I can't remember. Um, but there are three of them in one totally recommend the stainless steel rat by Harry Harrison. That would be, uh, definitely a science fiction book that I would love to see on screen. Um, I would have said, um, Oh, okay. I just thought of one. I guess this would kind of be if, um, if Guy Ritchie wanted to kind of cleanse his palate after doing the third Sherlock Holmes movie, hurry up, Guy Ritchie. I'm dying for it. Um, if you're, if he was going to do another movie, I would totally recommend, um, dead folk by Charlie Williams, uh, dead folk by Charlie Williams is totally a Guy Ritchie movie, uh, in book form. The only thing that would be missing, you would almost have to do it from a first-person perspective where you were hearing narration. And I know a lot of people don't want narration. It works for me sometimes. But it's basically about a, a bouncer in this small town in, uh, in, in Great Britain, I believe. And uh, <laughs> I think it's, it's kind of cool because he's a... Um, you would have to pull off the unreliable narrator 
because he sees things from his point of view and he may be kind of psychotic. Um, but at first blush, he just kind of seems like a, a head cracker at this local bar. And, uh, over time you learn that, uh, just since you're seeing that from his point of view, he takes certain things really lightly. He takes violent things really lightly. So when you find out that the violent thing he just spoke about may have been true, then it, uh, it's really a gut punch when you figure out that it may have already happened. But then again, sometimes he wakes up and the whole thing could have been a psychotic dream. Um, yes, recommend dead folk by Charlie Williams. And he did a few sequels and over time, uh, the character, I can't remember his name off the top of my head right now. I haven't read it in a while. I let someone borrow it, never got it back. Finally replenished it not too long ago. Um, and, uh, you have to watch out for that one too, because they changed names. They changed some of the titles because, uh, some of the words in Britain mean different things over here. So they were afraid of offending someone, uh, read what they call cigarettes over there and, uh, slurs that we use here. And it's the same thing, but, um, yeah, definitely that. Uh, let's see. So I got science fiction, I guess you call it crime and then drama. The horror problem, uh, there are a lot of good articles on how horror was a, um, was a literary genre that kind of got distilled into a, to a couple of known, uh, writers and then kind of went by the wayside after the, uh, the late eighties, early nineties. And I couldn't agree more. There were, um, in fact, one of these books I think is Adele, this one. Yeah. Del Horror. After a while, Del Horror actually became, they, they started putting out some of the, um, Ooh, just thought of it. Okay. The horror novel that I would want seen on screen would be The Cipher by Cathay Koya. Um, I'm probably, it's probably Koja. I don't know. It's a J, so I'm saying Koya. Um, my gosh. That book is so intense and simple. It reminds me a lot of the best, earliest, shortest Clive Barker stuff. Um, Clive Barker during like the books of blood damnation game in human condition, um, during that kind of era of Clive Barker, which is where, you know, a lot of the best stuff on film came from that. Uh, the, the cipher is about a couple that lives in a, uh, apartment building. And this is more kind of like a brownstone, kind of like a, a New York chic thing where they took this, uh, old dilapidated, uh, brownstone and, and, uh, kind of corralled it into apartments, but they find something strange in the broom closet and, uh, and become obsessed with it. And it's, it's just fantastic. And I think that, a um, I think a competent director, it would have to be, in my opinion, there's a definite level of art, uh, to the cinema that you'd have to, you'd have to kind of breach that where it's almost an art film, but there are things in it where, you know, you, it's shocking in, in kind of like the, 
the way that you recognize things. Uh, you know, you, you sit in a room and you've been there all your life and then you step out of it and you step back in and you realize that it's been a horror show your whole life, but you never known because you were so familiar with it. I guess that's part of, uh, part of, uh, the appeal for that book for me. And there's, there's this weird psychosexual aspect of change that might, uh, uh, it might totally like strike a lot of chords now because of the kind of like the sexual aspect of change that's, um, been so prevalent now and it's, and it's come to light, uh, more now than ever before in, uh, at least American history, probably definitely American history. Uh, so there you go. Um, uh, I guess if I were to do a Western, I'd have to say the homes on the range by Hawkinsmith. There's a series of, um, these Western mysteries where you have kind of like these cowpokes, uh, it's red and something else, but there it's homes as in Sherlock Holmes on the range, but it's homes on the range. And these detectives who like to do their detecting and their cowpokes. And it's just awesome. It takes place in, um, I believe that it's the turn of the century towards, uh, 1900s, almost like, uh, they end up going to like some sort of world's fair detective, um, uh, meeting where they get to meet all these famous detectives from all over the place. So I'd really like to see that. So that would kind of be a mashup of comedy, Western and mystery at the same time. So I'd like to see that. Um, a scanner darkly. I didn't get to that. Copacetic genocide. Sorry about that. Um, Skinner darkly Philip K. Dick. Um, in my opinion, um, it's difficult to get it right because you have to have, uh, you kind of have to have all these unspoken things taken care of. A lot of times with him, they kind of focus on the sheer paranoia of it all. And then the kind of like the sci-fi aspects and a lot of the, um, a lot of the adaptations have just maybe through sheer economy have left out a lot of things that I would have liked to have seen in there. A scanner darkly. I actually hadn't read that story until I had seen the movie. So in that case for me, um, I thought it worked out well, um, doing it in that order, which is normally my MO. I normally, if I, if I haven't read the book yet, I go see the movie and then I read the book after it's done or the story after it's done. Um, for me, it's just, I, I think it's a less problematic way to go. Um, but a scanner darkly, um, Richard Linklater, uh, he's done some interesting things. And I think, uh, waking life was one that he had done. It was kind of a philosophical treatise on, uh, like dream state, waking state, life itself, the brain, the soul, all that stuff. And if you think about the guy who did Dazed and Confused and then he goes over to Waking Life, it's it's a really, it's a huge jump, a leap uh, for that. And then, you know, he ends up doing Boyhood where you see, you know, someone's life in real time. Um, but I think that kind of like crosses the line somewhere where you have to figure out whether or not you want, you want movies to be lifelike. Do you want to just experience the life that you normally lead on screen? I mean, I loved me some American Splendor, the Harvey Pekar uh, comic book story. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, 
okay, I do that too. And my job is kind of like that too. And maybe I do that too. So like at some point, uh, you may be empathizing with a guy, sympathizing with a guy, but you kind of want something to take you out of your own situation. You might watch that and then you go home and realize that it was always the hell you thought it was. And it just kind of amplified it for you. So, you know, you end up doing something drastic. I don't know. But, um, when it comes to Salvatore, R.A. Salvatore, to answer your question, Andrew, too. No, I have not. Only because I don't know where to begin, uh, really, with the drizzt. Uh, if I'm saying that right, I think I am. D-R-I-Z-Z-T, I believe. Um, with the, I mean, it is the Forgotten Realms. And also, you know, um, a friend of mine, Donovan, he's writing his own uh, book, I'm not going to say in the vein because that's kind of derivative or whatever, but, um, but he, he had a lot of that on his plate. Uh, but I no, I haven't tried out Salvatore. I'm probably missing out in a, in a big way. Uh, I still have to read, um, I think it's Farfed and the gray mouser, uh, that series. And there's a lot to get to. Um, a friend of mine once posited that the reason why I keep so many books is because I will, only live forever uh if i live to read all of them then i will just i'll never die i'll be uh hugh jackman in the end of fountain you know talking to a tree and and um tattooing myself in a gigantic globe uh doing the lotus position out into the cosmos until uh, i eat my brains in some kind of weird aztec star explosion <laughs> if <laughs> If anybody knows what I'm talking about, uh, check out The Fountain. Uh, beautiful movie, completely confusing, um, and absolutely shocking in some parts of it. Uh, kind of blew me away. Um, is it Tartofsky? Is it Andre Tartofsky? Who's that guy? He did Pi, and he did Requiem from a Dream. Darian Aronofsky. Uh, Darren Aronofsky. Um, that guy's something else. But um, there you go. Any more questions? We're kind of coming up on two hours, aren't we? I think somebody from Periscope said hi. Um, Simply East. Oh, man, that was like, okay. <laughs> oh, no, 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 that wasn't that far away. Okay, that was like 10 minutes ago. Simply East said hello. How you doing? Uh, glad you could make it. Um, I mean, maybe we ought to wrap it up. I'm kind of reaching uh, TJ time. Right. Two hours. Was I thought TJ's time was two hours. Is that what he normally does now? He usually does an hour. But he, what? He rambles on. Hey, TJ does not ramble. He has a definite agenda. <laughs> he wants to talk about the uh, the pitfalls, <laughs> the pitfalls and the promise and the. <laughs> he rambles. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, this has been fun. Was there anything I wanted to go over? Well, I mean. This, I recommend anyone going around and trying to find an Oxford companion to English literature. Um, it's so great. I mean, you just open it up and it comes to something that would, like looking, I just opened it up and it opened between Longfellow and uh, Lotar. And it says, uh, Looking Backward, which is a utopian, um, it's a utopian novel, it's, it's considered kind of one of the um, 
not maybe not one of the first, but one of the first kind of um, noticed science fiction novels. And also, uh, this is awesome. Um, <laughs> what can I say? I love the question, the DC character, the question. Um, and <laughs> at one point, uh, Justice League uh, Unlimited, he says something about uh, something being Brogbignagian, right? I love him so much that he would say that. But uh, Bromignag, if I remember correctly, um, Bromignag is the land of the giants in Gulliver's Travels. Um, Lilliput is the Lilliputians are the small uh, small people who end up tying them up on the beach or whatever. And then the Bromignags are the giants. So <laughs> the question took the time to reference Gulliver's Travels just to say something was over large by saying Brombagnagian. So the next time, uh, if I ever go to get my head measured for a hat, uh, I'll warn the clerk and say, you better get a larger measuring tape because my skull is positively Brombagnagian. There you go. These are the things that give me laughs that tickle my, uh, my stomach. Molly Beth, where have you been? Uh, I suppose it's my fault. There are a few people that are complaining that uh, I didn't, um, I didn't give them enough time to react uh, to tuning in. But um, if I do it, I tend to do it too early sometimes. And then if you do it early, and then you kind of fill in and do it late again, they've already seen it once, and they'll say that they'll remember. And then stop bugging me with this stuff. Stop reminding me. I remember, and then they forget. So I figured I'd do it a few hours before and that ought to be enough time for anybody, but everyone has different, uh, there are a lot of people who are in different time zones and stuff. So, uh, there you have it. Um, but, uh, to answer your question, Molly, um, basically tonight it was kind of like my, my return to form coming out for the podcast. There have been a few things that have gotten in the way. Um, my legs just suddenly swelled up and um i mean there's no doubt about it everybody gives me flack but it's true i'm incredibly overweight i'm getting older and these things happen um so i need to start running laps and other things uh hoisting books above my head and things of that nature but what push-ups foot push-ups oh book push-ups i can't wait to (laughs) there we go um we're going to uh, we're going to enact this uh, book based uh, fitness routine. It's going to be it. Yeah, let's do it. The foot, the food taster. Um, that title reminds me of a book called "The Man Who Ate Everything." Um, it was about this guy who, and this is it's a true story. It's not a fictional book. This guy, I guess that he had an irrational fear of all these different foods, and and all he would eat was just like the most basic run-of-the-mill meat and potatoes hamburger cheeseburger type of safe things where he wouldn't branch out and then i don't know if he had an anxiety attack or what but he basically decided that he was gonna um break himself of all these phobias these food phobias so he just went all over the place eating all of this intensely disgusting shit from all over the world to uh cure himself and it's a great addition they have uh, um the um I think, if I remember correctly, the 
the cover kind of looks like this weird, um, what, like a, a cheese. I guess like if you had tryptophobia, it would freak you out because it looks like this cheese where there have been all these bubbles that have receded away from it or something like this. It's like this big holy thing. I guess it could be bread too. I can't remember. But the way the cover is set up on the spine, there's this gigantic bite out of it. And then the part in the paper where the it's been bitten away, then it says the man who ate everything. Uh, totally awesome. But the food taster, I uh, have to check that out. What's the appeal of the food taster? 1111. Anyone? Any super? I don't have very many superstitions, but the 1111 thing, I always make a wish. Like a fool. Like a kid. I never even known. You've never heard about the 1111 make a wish thing? Jesus. I don't know what to say about that. (laughs) This guy. This guy over here is not doing the old days. He's not looking at crow's guts to figure out which fast food restaurant to go to. Um, (laughs) The whole thing like that. You know what defenestration is? Uh Uh-uh. It's when you get thrown out a window. What? Uh, Yeah. That's why uh, we were watching the Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Um, totally excellent movie in every way, except for the female lead. lead. Yeah. I'm sure she's a wonderful person. Um, I just, she's so bland in that movie. And it makes me wonder, I don't know uh, where the country of origin, I don't know where she's from. But it almost makes me wonder if she is a, huh? It makes me wonder because if she's like a British actress who's trying to do the American accent and that's what's screwing it up for me, I don't know what it is. Um, but, uh, I just not, not in, not into that, but I'm into absolutely everything else. I mean, maybe it's so telling because, um, Queenie and Jacob in that movie, I'm, I'm forgetting both their names right now. But the guy was in, uh, he was in uh, Fanboys, and he was hilarious. But um, their chemistry is so intensely awesome and wonderful and playful and, and lovely that when you see uh, Newt Scamander and that Tina, there's nothing happening there. So, anyway, I totally digress. Um, Food Taster is based off the manuscript of the Black Plague. Oh, so does the food taster, is that like for the kingdom? Um, cause apparently that was a huge, um, that was a huge occupation way back when, where you'd be like the, the food taster for the king or queen and make sure nothing's poisoned and stuff. I remember that, uh, that part from Cleopatra where, um, one of her handmaidens wouldn't try, I think, it, I can't remember if it was wine or what. But she acted like she tried it and she didn't because it was poison. And then uh, she made her eat or drink it. I can't remember what it was now, but that was chilling. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested in all um, anything about the Black Plague I would love to read. But uh, all right, Richard. He's coming in at the last minute to tell me that he makes wishes too. Well, don't tell me what it was, uh, Riverboat Rick, because... Then it won't come true. Okay, so Andrew, the 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 peanut gallery in the back is like it won't come true. It's like I never heard of this eleven eleven thing. Yeah, right. I never heard of the eleven. I just know if you tell your wish, you'll never. Oh, you're talking about birthday cakes then. That's what you're yeah. talking about. Okay. 
he f- he's finally chiming in on the superstitions yeah. of men. Where did eleven eleven come from? Oh, okay. Oh, 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 eleven eleven. Uh, I'm not sure, but now I'll have to research it. Thanks a lot. Six oh five guy was they they used to say until everyone started making fun of like six oh five make a wish. Oh my god. Oh my god. Whatever happened to uh, at six oh five? Six oh five at six oh five. I haven't seen it. Huh. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. Uh, guy trying to survive in the 1400s. It's an actual do- document. You know, um, that's kind of ringing a bell about the actual document thing. Um, I'm kind of wondering if I have seen that book. I'm kind of remembering a book uh, that's rather thin. It kind of looks like it's something like 150 pages. Maybe that's not the same one. But it reminds me of that. Anyway, um, I think I'm going to draw this to a close uh, for the uh, special Q&A edition of the Diabolical Index. Um, Everybody's been totally wonderful. I'm glad everyone came out. Uh, Molly Beth, I'm sorry I'm kind of getting off the horn riser coming on, but I'm glad you made it out. Um, It's, you know, it's, it's only because, you know, they're... There are a bunch of things that have to be done. I have to get back to Rising Sun, and uh, I don't know. It seems like people are tuning out right about now, but maybe it does have to do with the the time, the time zones. But uh, it was great that uh, the Richard showed up, and Andrew too, and um, Gillespie, and or Mister Gillespie, sorry, Mister Gillespie, and Copacetic Genocide as always coming in, um, and I saw Travis, I saw Goat, Travis Billiter on there somewhere. Uh, blast from the past chiming in so uh there are a lot of people show mel said hi uh so i don't know where big curly went he was hanging in there pretty good oh uh, that's all he did okay there you go all you have to do uh james grant i would say you know check out james grant on the internet i think he has a deviant art up again um i'm not sure what it's under but uh look up james grant hopefully coming to uh, a free comic book day near you. Um, keep your ear to the ground for that. Hopefully I'll, I'll be able to convince him to make that leap. We'll see. But, um, yeah, uh, this has been Diabolical Index. Uh, beware your human heart. Can't remember if I said that. I think it did. Um, but, uh, September 10th, 2018, uh, where the, oh, these are definitely the pages of the uncanny right here. Uh, usually sometimes people say, I thought you were talking about all horror books. And it's like, well, I think I can find the horror in everyday things. So, um, doesn't necessarily have to, I mean, why do you have to be, why do you have to, even horror sometimes can be safe. If you know, it's going to be scary. I would much rather watch something that I thought was, uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And then all of a sudden the pit of hell opens up and it turns out that you're wrong, uh, about everything. I would prefer that. I think that would be much more of a, a shocking thing. Uh, anybody see The Nun? Did you see The Nun? Mm-hmm. I've only seen The Conjuring. I've only seen The Conjuring. Uh, not, and I thought The Conjuring was great. So, I mean, all these spinoffs and stuff. It's the whole obsession with the universes. Everybody wants to have their own universe. So, all I can say to that is... Mr. Mr. <laughs> Mr. Tom Cruise... Sorry about your luck. Anyways. <laughs> That's what you get. That is what you get when you fuck 
with Brendan Fraser. No, That's right. Except, of course, for his ex-wife. She, uh, she's the one doing the fucking... Oh, don't let the wrong one... Don't let the wrong one in. You know, Molly Beth, I don't want to assume anything, but I think you may be talking about let the right one in. Um, if you are, movie is awesome. And in fact, uh, that's one of the very, very, very few times where I could say that um, the original and the remake are just as good as the other. Uh, let the right one in is a fantastic movie and let the right or let me in it's let isn't that right i don't know i think it's let the right one in and let me in let me in is the american version with um chloe grace moretz in it uh who he said you're right okay uh yeah um so yeah um let the right one in is fantastic and let me in and i think that that was a deal where kind of like if anyone's need, uh, seen Funny Games, um, that's one where the director, the original Funny Games is totally, totally chilling, chilling stuff. Um, but the director found out that uh, they were going to remake it, and he said, you can only remake it if I remake it. So uh, he ends up making both movies. And I think that that's, I think that may be what happened here. Would let the right one in and let me in as well. I can't remember though. But um, Elias Codius totally um, stole the show for me in that. Chloe Grace Moretz, um, I think that she needs to take stock uh, of her career. She's kind of, doesn't seem like she's taking many chances. Where at the very, very beginning, and I, I think that's kind of indicative, like, I think Natalie Portman was kind of like that too, where she. I mean, it's kind of shocking when you see her in The Professional, Leon The Professional, and then you see her later work. It almost seems like she watered down everything after that. And it may have been because it's it's something where that was, uh, to, I don't know. There are a lot of questionable statements made about that in, in kind of like looking through the lens of the 21st century on that movie. It's, uh, it's different. But anyway, I digress. This, uh, believe it or not, this is not a movie podcast. That's in the uh, wheelhouse of TJ, the uh, the Lord of Magic Scroll Network right now. I'm, I'm coming for you, though, buddy. It's uh, uh, This is a friendly little game that we have going on here, but um, I'm coming for you. Anyway, Diabolical Index, uh, special Q&A episode. <laughs> I always end like five times before I actually end. But um, I haven't been gone so long as to forget to tell you to keep it squirrely. All books have a destiny of their own. And a life of their own.
Some books are dangerous not to be opened with impunity. <laughs>